All right. Hello. What's up? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, we're talking about a topic that most of us have bumped up against. And if you haven't, uh, you're probably either just starting things out or you haven't really pushed the limits. But we're talking about how to prevent burnout. Not necessarily overtraining, but they're kind of synonymous, right? Like overtraining, you get to a point where physically you might break down. Uh, burnout's more of an emotional state where you just don't really want to do it anymore. A lot of times this can be thought of as motivation or some sort of mental like wherewithal, mental grit that you're kind of putting in, in place. But from my experience there is a, a way to kind of handle this with the physical. And if we're just trying to, you know, go back to figuring out why this is happening, why you feel a certain way, what could you do to put into like your routines or your, or, or your stress management or whatever it is that makes you feel like you don't want to work out. I would recommend not going directly to the mental and looking at the physical, uh, the physical is often going to lead to that mental state of feeling lethargic, feeling less than excited to train and just like missing training sessions that these type of things are just like not feeling excited, not feeling motivated is something we talk about a lot. And this could be because of the physical. So a lot of times this will happen when things are really at, driven up from a training volume and intensity perspective for an extended duration. And eventually things will start to feel worse mentally. And it's because physically you're probably uh, wearing yourself out a little bit. And then it's your brain just trying to slow things down for you. So your body can actually recover. So I would really not look at the mental, <laughs> looking at the physical part first. So there's a couple aspects of the physical where you can address as you start to feel this way. And the first place that I like to go is nutrition. And I feel like a lot of the conversations around like this type of topic, ultimately, this is like a recovery conversation is based around sleep. And yes, sleep will ultimately make you uh, feel more rested, resting your body, resting your brain. So you're feeling more recovered and ready to go. A lot of recovery hormones are released during sleep, and that's where all of the rest and recovery typically happens. I believe that your nutrition leads to better sleep. There's not a ton of hard data around this. So I'm, I'm going a lot off anecdotal for, for this conversation. And there have been some studies around food composition and how it affects sleep in terms of like what you're eating. But I'm talking more about uh, the volume in which you're eating, how much you're eating. And a lot of times these studies, when it comes to total food com consumption is really hard because it's not control. You can't really control it, right? Like you can say, Hey, eat these amount of greens and see how that affects your, your sleep or whatever. Or you can have some sort of like drink tart cherry juice type of situation and see how that makes you feel. Uh, and that's a little bit more controlled, but if you're going off total food consumption, it's really hard to control a study because you can't force feed people in a lab and keep them there all day. Eventually, they're going to have to do their own thing. They are going to have to live on their own and eat their own food. So when it comes to food quantity studies, they're very hard to find. 
And they, if there are these studies, they're probably not that accurate and they'll be still driven around some sort of, uh, some sort of food quality, uh, part of it. Like it's really hard to get the quantity piece down. So nutrition, I've found that if I am hungry, <laughs> I sleep less well. And you may have experienced this as like waking up hungry or not feeling like you're in a very good mood. If you're waking up in the middle of the night, feeling restless, a lot of times you're just undernourished. And in my own experience and some of the athletes who I've coached in their experience, adding in more carbohydrates and fats in particular will really help boost your ability to sleep well through the night. And this could be as this could be a lot more food. It could be a little more food. It could be as much as like 200 calories. It could be as much as like a thousand, fifteen hundred. If you're really cranking on the training end, you need to eat. You really need to eat, and you need to see how that eating affects your sleep, right? And in an endurance sport, it, and luckily for these sports that we're we're involved in now, these hybrid training, even even OCR, body composition seems to be secondary. In terms of performance, where an endurance athlete, it could be like the main focal point. And I know I've dealt with this on my own personal end as an endurance athlete that my body composition was a direct. I, I made it a direct corollary. 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 There it. There it is. That's that word that I'm looking for to my performance. And it's not necessarily that way. There is a tipping point in in how little you weigh and then and it's usually be based around how much or how well you're recovering and how much you're eating and, and how that affects your sleep. So a lot of times endurance athletes can't have a hard, but still endurance athletes can't have a hard time with the body composition thing, even in the hybrid space where athletes are coming from who might have a bigger body composition just because of their background. If a ball sports or just a, a gym sport athlete, it could be a little bit bigger. So when it comes to performance, we can look at that as a, a way to get lighter and improve. So sometimes eating more is a scary thought and it needs to be accounted for and you need to really feel what it's doing for you while also seeing and understanding what it's doing to your body. So if this is a concern of yours, I would suggest collecting as much data as you possibly can. So that could be in terms of a sleep journal or if you're using um, – you know, sleep at like sleep wearables, that's whoop. Uh, it could be an Apple watch. It could be an aura ring and seeing how much, how your calories in are affecting your sleep data. I like subjective sleep data a little bit more. Uh, and there's one or two other pieces that I'll talk about that. I also like to, when indicating how my, how my nutrition is going and how it's affecting my sleep. Uh, I just like, I think the wearables thing is like those, I don't believe that any of those are accurate. Yeah, like the main issue that I have with it is when they're talking about how your REM sleep and like, that's something that happens in your brain. So something that's attached to your finger, how that understands what's happening in your brain. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I, don't, I understand there's a mass amount of data and you can kind of, you can most likely come to some kind of assumption around when someone's in REM sleep or when someone's in deep sleep based on how much they're moving, based on how much their heart rate's dipped, based on like their heart rate variability, but it still cannot be 100% accurate. It just can't. It's not there yet. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. There's something on the outside of your body telling you what's happening in your brain. It just like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. 
and what's happening like underneath your eyelids, like how rapid your eyes are moving from the your wrist, some watch, some timeless, some watch that doesn't control, that doesn't tell you the time, how that's going to tell you what your REM sleep is. I don't get it. Anyway, digression. I like subjective mat, like how I felt like I sleep, how I feel like in the morning. And I also like to uh, feel like there's there's a sex drive component to this as well. Like if that has completely dipped, and I'm speaking mostly on the male side because that's what I'm most experienced with. If your sex drive is completely down and you're not experiencing uh, wood while you're sleeping or in the morning, then that's a real indicator on my end that things are you're, you're not fully recovering on the nutrition side of things. And then that's hurting all those recovery hormones like testosterone and growth hormone that happen during sleep. And that that's, that's a byproduct, that's a natural byproduct of testosterone during your sleep. So that's something to be aware of. And as you eat more, if you are worried about the body composition th- piece, I would check your weight every single morning. Like, and just use it as data because it can be scary, right? And especially if you start, when you start to eat more right away, you'll probably add weight based off of a water weight. It's going to be very hard, especially if you're well under your, your output to put on fat, right? And in like, in like a day or two, it's just, it's probably just not going to happen. You're probably going to fill your glycogen stores. You probably will weigh more, but you'll feel better. You'll perform better because of that. And the next day you'll just use them all. And then you have to restore that. And if that's restored, then you can start to, uh, then all of your body's internal systems will start to work better. Like they kind of cut, cut off as there's less and less. And that like, Having it full, making sure your sleep is going well, that's that's an indicator that everything is is working properly, right? And again, this is very anecdotal. I don't have a ton. Uh, there isn't a ton of evidence around the things that I'm saying, but in, as a coach and as an athlete and as someone who's played around with this and paid attention for a long time, these are things that I, I do really feel are helpful. So, um, and checking your weight every day, like I said, isn't going to... it. What it should do is be data to let you understand how your body weight fluctuates from day to day. If you have a large enough sample, you'll end up seeing like after 10, 20, 30 days, you'll see if there, even just 10 days, we'll say, you can see if there is an upward trajectory trajectory of your body composition in terms of if you're, if you're gaining weight in a linear fashion, then you've probably gone too far. If it goes up and down and you're kind of consistently around a certain weight after average weight after uh, 10, 20 days or so, then you know, it's like, okay, you're in the right spot. You're in a maintenance spot. And that's really where we want to be in this high level of training. Unless you are specifically in a build, uh, like a bulking phase or specifically in a cut, you kind of want to average around, but while being in a maintenance phase, your body weight could fluctuate three pounds in either direction based off of how much you ate, how much you worked out, how much water you drank, how much you were sweating. Those type of things are going to affect your body weight in the morning. And it's just important to have a big average out of it. So if you're going to start eating more and you're worried about it, collect the data, see it like if it's subjective data on the sleep side of things, or if you have one of those uh, wearable pieces that you, you do trust and you think is fine for you, then use that. You can, if eating more, you can then collect your data on 
the, the how your weight is fluctuating and where that sweet spot is, right? It doesn't want to be like you're gaining gaining weight over time because then you're that's too much. That's the surplus, right? But if it's fluctuating back and forth, then you're probably in the right spot and where you need to be. So this is why I think nutrition is really the first part in avoiding burnout and avoiding uh, like a lack of motivation in your training. If And that could be another uh, subjective piece that you do collect. How you're feeling about training, right? Are you feeling worse? Is it feeling better after you eat more and you sleep better? Are you still energized and motivated to do it? Most of the time, unless there's a complete shift in your, your mindsets, like I I don't see how motivation will just like fall off, right? There might be days where you're not feeling motivated, but if your habits are in the right place and if you are committed to training and to achieving a certain level of fitness, having your motivation just like topple over one day uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Then that's the physical. Then that's where I would talk about the, the nutrition side of things. After that's covered, then I would focus on the sleep. If you don't change anything else, you eat more fats, carbohydrates in particular, then I would start to see how that affects your sleep and then building some kind of sleep routine around it. If you immediately go to sleep and you're like, oh, I'm just going to wear blue light blockers. I'm going to not look at my phone. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going to cut off the Wi-Fi. I'm going to do all these things that we've been talking about that affects our circadian rhythm. The, and it doesn't work or I'm going to take CBD, whatever. I'm going to take some sort of supplement like that is, I don't believe that will give you the correct data or the correct response. You pro, I mean, it might help the, your ability to fall asleep, but I don't think it will help your quality of sleep throughout the evening. And if you take care of that nutrition piece, then I would bring in these sleep routine pieces. Um, I'm no expert on this. There's a lot of information out there on it. And I think it's very much personal preference, just like any type of routine would be. But that's where I would recommend you start having some kind of sleep routine, whether it is, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> shutting things down at a certain point, starting to read everything at being on like the same type of timeline is what I mean with the sleep routine. So getting like whatever you have to do to get to bed at a certain time, make sure you work backwards to make those steps happen so you can be in bed by whatever, 9, 9, 30, 10, whatever your time is so that you are giving yourself the appropriate amount of time to get the sleep that you need. Don't stay up late if you have to get up early. Start that sleep routine early, <laughs> earlier. If you can if you can sleep in a little bit later, you can start your sleep routine a little bit later. But work backwards for what you think works best for you. I personally need seven, seven hours. I can only pro usually get eight and a half if I'm very tired, but that's where I need to be. So if I'm getting up at six, I have to work backwards from six. And then at, you know, I need to be in, in bed by 10 to, to hopefully get that. So I can't be laying in bed at 10. I need to be laying in bed at 930. And then I have about 30 minutes of the time to decompress and read whatever it is so that I can be asleep at 10. So that I wake up at six and that I feel consistently in the right place. And then if the sleep is off one night or another, and I don't feel well the next day, I know why, right? The consistency along of the sleep or even of nutrition is important for the feedback that you get in your training because you have something to point to unless you're, oh, I'm off, I feel off. And if, you're, if your nutrition is inconsistent every day, if your sleep is inconsistent every day, if your training is inconsistent every day, you'll have no idea why you feel off. But if it is consistent, you'll understand that 
oh, it wasn't my, it wasn't great on, on my end, uh, on the sleep or the nutrition side. So let me get back to my routines on both of them. So I understand how I'm feeling. So that's just real quick on sleep. A, a tip that I do like, and I would suggest is to get some sunlight in the morning. As soon as you can do a little easy walk, a run in the morning. Like this is just something that's going to help the natural circadian rhythm and the production of melatonin. I would not supplement with melatonin unless it is something that you are like out of time zones or you need to kind of put that circadian rhythm back in order. That's when you can supplement with something like melatonin, but it's not a sedative. It's not something that's going to help you sleep unless you are just terrible at being outside, which as athletes, I, I, I doubt it, but I would try to get some sunlight in uh, like natural sunlight out outside sunlight, not sunlight, like through a window that, that doesn't work the same way. If you get outside and you get some sunlight directly into your eyes, not like, not like looking at the sun, but you know what I'm saying that, that helps this process of getting back into that rhythm. So that's the one thing on the sleep side of things that I would recommend is getting outside early and then doing your own routine, whatever you feel works best for you so that you can get that consistency of, of sleep. So you have something to point to when it's, when things are kind of feeling off. The third piece of this is program design. So if you are always going ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, and then you feel like you burned out, then something's wrong with the way that you're, you're going about your programming and your training in general. Like if you feel motivated and then you burn it all the way down for two weeks and then you're out of motivation, you're going too hard too soon then you need to kind of build things up slowly or take more active recovery days or complete recovery days. These type of things will help. So a lot of times this will happen at the end of a season where athletes might be like, I'm just, I've, I don't think I can do any more. I don't really care to do any more training. Uh, and by the end, it's like, let's just get this over with. And usually that's when a taper kind of comes in. And so when you hit that taper, you're going to start to feel a little bit more refreshed. You probably will sleep a little bit better. You'll have a lot more energy just to, to handle during the day. So when you go into your race, you're feeling more recovered after that taper. If you are constantly just like banging at it and really just like need to do more and need more and more, need to go up, need to go up, need to go up. And then all of a sudden you're either you're physically worn down, which will lead to that mental wear and tear. And that's uh, just a program design, season design, and figuring out like what it is that, what it is in the training that is making you feel this way. So the program design piece is something you could also look at and having specific down weeks and no, and being okay with that, knowing that this is going to help the mental side. And if it's, this is har harder to do than it is just to talk about in practice where, Knowing that you need to take a week down and actually sticking to that before you feel terrible. So having a little bit of, of a proactive mindset when it comes to this is very helpful. And a lot of times that just takes you banging your head against the wall, feeling terrible and doing that a couple of times and then like doing it in, in, and uh, then taking the, the necessary pieces to hopefully keep you on track, like eating more focusing on sleep and then giving yourself recovery. So a lot of times athletes end up learning this on their own. It's hard. It's really, really a challenge to be like, Hey, uh, if you don't do this, you will burn out because everyone thinks that they won't. <laughs> everyone thinks that they can't until they actually do. So this, if you're a coach and you're, you're talking to athletes, I would highly recommend against telling them what to do in these circumstances. And, uh, 
help guide them from a programming perspective or uh, an explanation as to what could potentially happen, but like telling people to not do things, especially athletes, athletes and athletes who want to perform at a high level, is just going to lose, lose their trust of you because they don't think that you believe in what they're capable of doing. And a lot of times I got to figure it out themselves. <laughs> so, uh, uh, regrettably, and you know, you, and as a coach, you want to see what they're capable of doing so that when you're programming or you're, you're reviewing their programming, you can see like, okay, when you're at, at this area, you seem to be handling this. Well, let's try, let's try to push those boundaries into a place that is, uh, where you start to kind of feel that. And that comes down to the relationship that you have with your athlete to, to understand like how they are feeling in these moments, even if they're not telling you directly that they're feeling burnt out. And then you can kind of use the previous experiences to guide what you do next. So those are three pieces that you can really put into place to help with this, uh, this burnouts or this mental lack of motivation and they're all physical. <laughs> and if there is a thing that is that you do need to keep your motivation on the mental side of things, I would suggest, uh, you know, knowing your why that's obvious. That's, that's the cliche way of doing it. And, and really asking yourself these questions, what are you doing this for? And is it, is it important enough for you to continue to do it? Right. If you reach these burnout, these burnout phases and it's detrimental to your life and it's just because you're you are ego driven and you want to just, to just like win or be better than others. And in your heart of hearts, you know that because you do. If you really think about it, you might cover it up. Be like, Oh, I just love it. It's just whatever. It's just something I've always done. That's when I hear a lot. It's just something I've always done. I've always just been competitive. It's just always it's just part of who I am. Yeah, but like, why? You know? Like what, why is it something, you, why have you always been that way? So once you really ask yourself that question, and if it is ego driven, you got to figure something else out because you will just bang your head against the wall until you are just not, not interested in doing this anymore, because it's not a good motivator. If you can tie it to some, to something else, something bigger than yourself, something like, uh, like your family or something like, uh, being an example for your kids or, for me, it's a lot, it's a tied to my career and that's tied to my family. That's something that is very helpful on my end to keep things going. Like, like, because this thing, this can feel selfish driving and this hard and pushing yourself forward, but having an appropriate why, or just being, having a, an honest why is something I think I would say not appropriate because everybody's is going to be different, but something that's honest and that you're satisfied with and you feel happy about then. And that is fulfilling. That's just a good way to start. It's cliche. Everyone's good. Hey, what's your why? Start with your why. But like, have you done it? Have you like, if you can, you think about it right now, can you answer without really any hesitation? If you haven't think about it, think about it right now. Did it come to you? Did you have it? If not, write it out. Think about it. You're spending a lot of time working out. You, You think about, you're just thinking to yourself when you're working out, think about what it is, make sure it makes sense. And having it be linked to somebody else or having it be tied to like a bigger aspiration. And then that's, I think that's a little bit better. Also an appropriate timeline. If you're, if you're starting high rocks and you're like, I'm going to be a sub 60 guy and my next race, which is in four months, you're probably not going to (laughs) be, you're probably just, unless, unless you've been doing it for four or five years, then maybe it will be. But if you're like, I'm going to be a sub 60 guy in, uh, 20, 20, 
six, <laughs> then it's easier to continue to go along that journey because you won't reach this failure and think that you're just like not good at it because that's not how it works. You're not, you're not just like good or not good. People who are, who are good have figured out something over the course of their, their career that has made them good. And they've gotten those adaptations because they've consistently gone after it. They haven't trained for four months and then ran sub 60. They've done something else before that. Maybe that can happen. Maybe. And there's been evidence of people have done that, but they're athletes to some extent for probably a decade, two decades before that. And then this race just kind of popped up. So an appropriate timeline also very helpful on that end. All right. I think that's about it on what on, on my take on how to stay properly mentally motivated and how to tie your mental back to your physical again this is not always going to be something that people need to hear and but it's something that's worth remembering when you're in those moments and knowing what to look at and how to kind of come out of it when you are experiencing this type of thing so i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did share it with a friend like it or not like it subscribe to it unsubscribe to it i don't know five stars i forget how all this stuff works just keep listening i appreciate that if you're interested in some uh training meg jacoby and i we just released two programs that are based around meg jacoby's training 16 weeks advanced meg jacoby training really hard <laughs> if you have a lot of time to train and you want and you're you feel like you are running out of steam on your own and you need some new ideas 16 week is nasty 12 week a little bit more attainable but you still need to be a pretty high level athlete to do that my own training ones i have a 12 i have a 12 week 2023 high rocks version that you can take a look at in the link down in the show notes we'll talk to you soon